0: Welcome to episode 41 of the Roger Snipes show. The Rod 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 Roger Snipes show. Yo, what's good? We are back again. So, yeah, what's happening? What's happening? Are we still in strange times? Are we That is the question. I have no idea. I don't watch the news and I don't watch and see what people are saying on social media a lot of the time. I'll do my posts and then I just get on with my life. So (laughs) I think one time I was about to walk in a supermarket to realize that everybody was putting on face masks. And I soon realized that it was kind of enforced, but not. So let me explain. I learned that it has been given as a as a guidance that when you go into a shop you should wear a face mask. However, you don't have to, but it's a guidance for your own safety. You can be refused entry in some shops and sometimes you might not. But the most weirdest thing is you can go into a supermarket the manager might be like okay you're not wearing a mask it's fine but then if a police officer walks into that supermarket and sees you without a mask you can get a fine on the spot like how weird is that like the shop owner said it's cool but the police officer might be like do you know what I'm not cool with that you're gonna have to pay a fine (laughs) I don't know man, these weird kind of non-enforced laws, it's just strange, strange. Anyhow, today's podcast is going to be really interesting. I'm going to be talking to a guy by the name of James, or full name is Dr. James D. Nicolantonio. It took me a while to get that name because I remember he sent me an email and I saw the surname and I was like, what the hell does that say? How does a person pronounce that? And as I was reading through the rest of the email, he actually pointed out not many people can can, can pronounce his surname and he broke it down into syllables. So, uh, nickel. Antonio, (laughs) Nicol Antonio. Oh, sorry, D. Nicol Antonio, which uh, yeah makes it a lot easier. (laughs) So he has, yeah, he has he has written a few books. um, One of them called The Salt Fix, and that was how we kind of first got acquainted, really, on social media. I think um, obviously I, I talk quite a lot about the books which I like to read or the audio books which I like to listen to and um, James must have taken notice to that and um, shot me a DM and he said to me my book uh, The Salt Fix you need to check it out so uh, yeah so I did and the book came through and I was just reading through it thinking wow this is some great stuff and um, then just got back in contact with him and said hey dude we need to do a podcast so he was he was cool about the idea and uh, that's what brought this podcast today excuse me so so uh, dr james d nicolantonio is a doctor of pharmacy and a cardiovascular research scientist a well-respected and internationally known scientist and an expert on health and nutrition, he has contributed extensively to health policies and has testified in front of the Canadian Senate regarding the harms of added sugars. He serves as the associate editor of the British Medical Journal's Open Heart, a journal published in partnership with the British Cardiovascular Society and is the editorial advisory boards of several other medical journals. Dr. D. Antonio is the author or co-author of over 250 publications in the medical literature. He also is the author of three best selling health books The Salt Fix, Superfuel and the Longevity Solution. You can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at doctor Nick, and on Facebook at doctor James D. <laughs> D Nickel Antonio. You can visit his website on doctor Now, before we start the podcast, I actually want to give a, I don't know, a mention to a company which I highly recommend. It's not even a sponsorship, it's like, I just think that they're good. And uh, they they go by the name of Hawkins and Brimble, and they specialize in male grooming. I've been using a lot of their... The products for about 3 years probably and I've always thought it was amazing I've mentioned it a few times on social media and yeah and, and now I've recently started to see them in the supermarket which is great it's good to see that they're starting to expand and one of the things I really do like about them is that they're the ingredients which they use it's all natural um they're fantastic so they have uh, like daily energizing moisturizer um, like an aftershave balm and for those of you who have beards they've got beard oil, um, energizing eye cream, shaving cream and I really like the shaving cream because it really foams <laughs> when you put it on it foams like on your face and when you're shaving it's such a, a smooth clean shave it's, it's, it's amazing they got uh, facial scrubs as well. Uh, this stuff is really, really good. I-, I just wanted to give them a mention. Um, check them out. Check them out. I know they have a subscription service on their website as well. Um, if you subscribe, then you get a monthly discount of 15%. So, um, yeah, check out their website. It is hawkinsandbrimble.co.uk. I'll put the information in the show notes and, yeah. I'm sure you will love all of their products. All right, let's start the podcast. Let's bring on Dr. James D. Nickel Antonio. Hey, how you doing, James? Doing good, Roger. What's up, man? I'm good. I'm very well, thank you. I was actually really excited to talk to you today because man, I love your posts. I look at your Thanks, posts man. every day and I might not comment because I'm thinking, I don't know if I'm it- intelligent enough to leave a comment. I was like, wow, this is, this is great stuff, you know? Thanks, man. I appreciate that. So I, you're on all platforms. You're on uh, Instagram, Twitter, you're on yep. Facebook as well. I do see some of your tweets, but I spend a bit more time on Instagram and um, the little videos that you put there, they're so informative. They're just incredible. And um, I've had a little look into one of your books and we'll go into that in a second, The the Salt Mm -hmm. Fix. And then uh, there's also The Longevity Solution. And uh, you have another book as well. um, Superfuel. Super fuel. That's it. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't seen that one yet, <laughs> but I'm sure I will do in the future. So it's on its way. What was that? It's it's on its way. It's on its my way. P- my publisher sent it to you. Yeah. Okay. Wicked. Look forward to it. So your surname is very interesting, and I wish one day in the distant future <laughs> I'll know how to pronounce it. So Dr. James mm, D. Nicol. D. Nicol Antonio. Antonio. You got it. That's it. That's like a combination of at least three names in one. I swear. Like, where I is know, it? F- where is it from? Italy. 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 Yeah, it's Italian. yeah. So, were you born there? Parents from there? So, my grandparents are
1: are uh, from Italy and Sicily. Oh, okay.
0: Nice, mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. Do
1: you visit often? I have never, but I want to. <laughs> okay yeah i was so, supposed to go to italy for my 10-year wedding anniversary but uh
0: but COVID hit, and so that blew up oh so, damn. yeah well hopefully hopefully uh, another i'll get time. there maybe the next uh 10-year anniversary or should i say 20-year anniversary yeah <laughs> so um you're a <laughs> oh gosh i hope i go before then <laughs> <laughs> Oh there's a bit of a latency is that me or is that is that my internet can can you hear me all right yeah i can hear
1: yeah
0: okay so you're a yeah. um a, a doctor of pharmacy and yep. uh, cardiovascular uh, research scientist is that yep. correct would you be able to sure. just elaborate a bit more on that what 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 does a you know a sure. um, pharmacy doctor cardiovascular scientists do research scientists yeah so basically um, what i do is sort of uh
1: publish peer-reviewed um medical papers so i've published over 250 academic papers primarily on nutrition and nutrients but most of my work is known around magnesium or or the harms of omega-6 seed oils and refined sugar And then I've uh, also done a lot of work on, obviously, salt,
0: hydration, things like that. Okay. And how long have you been doing this for? Over 10 years. Oh, wow. Okay. And what did you start off in before you started to venture in all the different areas of nutrition? Was it cardiovascular health, which was your main interest?
1: I think like, um, I mean, it was primarily, but I mean, I really started, I started out as a, just a community pharmacist in the beginning. And mm-hmm. then um, the reason why I got interested in salt was because a lot of my patients that I was seeing were having like symptoms of dizziness, um, fatigue after starting like a diuretic. Mm-hmm. So I would sort of tell them, well, you could be low on salt get your sodium levels checked or get your blood urea nitrogen. As long as kidney function is good, when BUN elevates, that, that can indicate dehydration. And typically when you are dehydrated or, or you have low blood volume, that typically is due to a lack of salt. So a lot of times these, these patients of mine, they would go back to their doctor, their BUNs would be elevated and their blood sodium would be low. And so the doctor would either cut the dose of the diuretic or they would tell them to add back more salt Because the doctors, first thing you do, if you have high blood pressure, the doctor's going to tell you to cut your salt intake. But Mm. so many patients of mine were saying that they felt like crap. They felt really fatigued. And as soon as they would add back salt to their diet, um, they would instantly feel better. And and honestly, the most emails that I've ever gotten is for arrhythmias, like instantly going away as soon as people up their salt intake. Um, That was by far, I've, I've had probably 50 emails from people saying that their arrhythmias went away after they started increasing their salt intake. And we can go into why that may be, but basically Mm. as an athlete too, right? Like you and I kind of inherently understand like salt is important for performance. Why would everybody need to go on a low salt diet? And so that's really where my research sort of stems from.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, so you said that you can be, uh, still dehydrated from the salt or like, even if you drink uh, drink, you could still be dehydrated. I'm just trying to wrap my head around that. Part so
1: uh, yeah, a lot of people think um, dehydration is really like a lack of water, but a lot of times it's a lack of salt because true, you know, people throw out the word dehydration. Well, what exactly does that even mean? It's really just a depleted blood volume. And the main factor that determines your blood volume is your salt intake. So if you have a low blood volume, AKA dehydrated, That's typically because you don't have enough salt. And that's why people feel so fatigued, especially in the summer, or they're very dizzy when they go from like a seated to a standing position. And I'm sure you've probably noticed too, like you might feel just so fatigued in the heat, and then you might take a little extra salt and fluid and you instantly feel better because we can lose a lot of salt um, very quickly in the heat or through caffeine intake.
0: Wow. Okay. I didn't know that about caffeine. Oh, I'm guessing because you're urinating a lot. Is is that the reason why or does it Exactly. So another thing
1: why people focus um, on water intake is because they, they just believe like coffee is a diuretic, right? They think it just flushes out water. But the reason why it does that is it actually flushes out a lot of sodium and chloride. So for four cups of coffee that you consume, you're going to lose about a half a teaspoon of salt. Um, so you can obviously, you know, since we're all, caffeinated most of us at least in some (laughs) form or another, we're basically all salt wasters in a sense. If you're drinking caffeine on a consistent basis or utilizing caffeine, particularly coffee, because coffee has additional compounds beyond just the caffeine that causes additional salt loss.
0: Wow. Wow. So I think coffee is probably one of the, the highest sold I don't know beverages in the world or something, isn't it? It's like water right. and coffee. Right,
1: it's right behind water.
0: Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, um, the salt fix, you, which which is your book, which you had written, is is probably a pretty controversial uh, to many people due to the common belief that salt is evil. Um, oh, is that my internet or is that yours? Can you hear me? All right. Yeah, you're good. Yeah. Right, I just yep. got a warning that the uh connection was bad. Yeah, that um salt is evil. Um I remember being at an expo and it was a fitness expo. So the whole idea behind this expo is to share fitness things. Like they were talking about, I don't know, uh, BCAAs, which is BS. We don't need to go into that. Mm-hmm. Um, different sorts of supplements and there there was a stand that was selling uh, a bunch of different types of seasoning which didn't have any um, bad additives in there uh, but their main selling point was that they didn't put any salt in there mm-hmm. and I was like why would you have seasoning with no salt <laughs> that, <laughs> that was the <laughs> what was that <laughs> it's going to taste terrible i know it's like that 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 bit of salt is what is going to bring it alive anyway yeah. so there's lots of belief that salt is really bad. Like where, where did it historically come from in the first place? Where did it all start? Well, basically all of our
1: nutritional guidelines started from the 1977 dietary goals, um, which basically I think it gave a, t- a total of six recommendations, right? Um, low fat, you should go. Low salt, um, high carb, right? Um, low saturated fat. And there were two other recommendations too. But basically, um, those dietary goals were then translated into U.S. dietary guidelines in 1980, and then they just updated those ever since. And the data that low salt was based on was simply a correlation between uh, lowering your salt intake and lowering blood pressure. But again, I can lower your blood pressure by just telling you not to drink any water throughout the day and just drop your blood volume. That's exactly what low-salt diets do. It's not a good reduction in blood pressure. You're simply dehydrating the person and lowering their blood pressure. So it really just comes from a focus, an inappropriate focus on one surrogate marker, and that's blood
0: pressure. Mm. And that somehow cascaded up until where we are today. Exactly, and then uh, more
1: research was starting to come out that, okay, well, because this is sort of a harmful reduction in blood pressure, you start to see increases in stress hormones when you cut your salt intake to try to fight the low blood volume. So you get increases in renin, aldosterone, noradrenaline. So your heart rate is chronically elevated. Typically your heart is beating four times, four beats per minute more or higher uh, when you're on a low salt diet versus a normal salt diet. So think about how stressful that is on your heart when you're you're literally beating at least four times more per minute for decades on a low salt diet. So as they started looking at other surrogate markers beyond just blood pressure, even total cholesterol triglycerides, they all worsen on a low salt diet because low salt diets induce insulin resistance. There's at least 16 clinical studies in humans showing that when you cut your salt intake, you induce insulin resistance. And the reason why you do that, why that happens is because salt is an essential mineral. So the kidneys wanna start holding to it when you don't get enough. And one of the ways they do that is by making the body insulin resistant, elevating insulin levels, and then you can start holding to more salt. So you can literally lower insulin levels and improve insulin resistance if you simply
0: eat a normal salt diet versus restricting your salt intake. Wow. So what, what would be, a, how would you measure a good amount of salt for your, I don't know your body mass, your age, weight, and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, so I mean just like everything, it depends right on like numerous factors, like mm. how um, athletic you are, how much you're sweating throughout the day, how much coffee you're drinking, right? But typically, mm. if you look at um, the studies across the board, um, between 3,000 and 5,000 milligrams of sodium per day, is associated with the best health, like the lowest risk of dying, lowest risk of cardiovascular disease.
0: Right, right. And um, are there any particular types of health where you should think about reducing the oh, amount of- we, salt?
1: I lost you for a second.
0: Ooh, are we here? Are we here? Hmm, it's kind of, <clears throat> seems
1: to- Ooh. Yeah. yo i was i was i never dropped off the meeting
0: I, i've been here the whole time oh oh right okay <laughs> yeah um did you lose did you lose connection yeah i lost connection like it just okay. disappeared so um what was the last question i asked um it was about the amount of uh, sodium for optimal health or something yeah i can't remember so basically, I mean, for
1: most, yeah, for most people, if you look at um, the population studies, between 3,000 and 5,000 milligrams of sodium is associated with the lowest risk of dying, lowest risk of heart disease. Um, so 2,300 milligrams of sodium is one teaspoon. So 3,000 to 5,000, that's like one and a half to two and a half, basically, teaspoons mm. of salt. Seems to be optimal for health. And as you lose uh, more salt, so if you're exercising, the typical salt loss, uh, if you're just walking at around 80 degrees Fahrenheit, you're gonna lose about a third of a teaspoon of salt in your sweat every hour. If you are running, you're going to lose on average about a half a teaspoon of salt per hour of exercise. And then if you are exercising in higher temperatures, like 90 degrees or above, Uh, the average loss of salt is going to be about a full teaspoon per hour of exercise. So you can see um, most health organizations recommend you to consume less than a teaspoon per day. So if you're losing a full teaspoon or more exercising in the heat, you can see how those recommendations could lead to, you know, serious health consequences like heat stroke or salt loss in in people that exercise.
0: Yeah. I mean, (sighs) what you're saying there, it makes total sense. Why wouldn't a, uh, uh, I don't know, a general practitioner uh, tell patients this? Why is it not like, I don't know, like a, a, a typical standardized guideline for health that you should increase the amount of salt by now? Like you're telling me this, why is it not standard information?
1: Well, it's probably because most docs only get like four hours of nutrition education. So, (laughs) you know, like they know, most doctors know absolutely nothing about nutrition. Mm. And the little that they do know is salt equals high blood pressure. Most of them probably don't even realize it's an essential mineral. They think it's just like a seasoning, you know, (laughs) that you don't even need.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. So, um... I'm assuming that not all salts are created equal. How, like what's the difference between them and how would a person, where would a person find decent salt? That's a good question. So just typical table salt is
1: basically 100% sodium and chloride and it doesn't have any trace minerals. Um, If you are looking to get real iodine, then you're looking for You'll sort of like your Himalayan pink salts, any type of pink rock salt is going to have naturally occurring iodine. And we lose about 50 to 100 micrograms of iodine in sweat per hour of exercise. Wow. So it does get a little bit important that if your diet doesn't have good amounts of iodine, um, that a salt that actually has natural iodine, like Himalayan pink salt or natural rock salts that contain it, can, can help prevent iodine deficiency. And so people that exercise a lot and are sweating a lot can get themselves into serious trouble because they can become iodine deficient very quickly and you need iodine to form your thyroid hormones. So you can tank your metabolism. That's why I think a lot of people who are runners, especially when they run in the heat, they're losing so much iodine, they're never replacing it and they're just tanking their thyroid hormones and you can start actually gaining weight simply because you are now hypothyroid. Due to iodine deficiency caused by your over-exercise.
0: Wow, wow, wow! I'd never. Yeah, it's it's one thing that you don't really think about. Uh, yeah, iodine with salt. Um, hmm. So, but for the most part, I'd say probably a lot of people probably don't exercise. I mean, this is uh, great information for people who exercise and sweat a lot, but for those that are not really exercising, not really sweating that much. They're just living a normal life. Um, what would be the general intake with the iodine with the salt? Is, is there a, a different kind of measure?
1: So the RDA for iodine, just for the general population is 150 micrograms, but um, the quote unquote safe upper limit, I think is 1100 micrograms and the optimal intake we don't really know. I mean, some studies show that an optimal intake of iodine, um, particularly in women, maybe a thousand micrograms or, or potentially even higher um, for breast health. So it's always like sort of like a conundrum between what's enough to be adequate so you don't die versus like what's an optimal intake, right? For performance or preventing disease, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Mm-hmm. And where could you get iodine? I know you can get it from a sea kelp, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's um, a good
1: source. Eggs have iodine. Mm-hmm. Um, dairy, cheese has iodine in it. Um, shellfish. Okay. But there's not a whole lot of sources for iodine, to be honest.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not something I think about when I'm buying food in all fairness (laughs) i do have some uh pink himalayan salt so hopefully are all of those created equal like you hear about all these different brand names does it matter by brand or is it just you know as long as it's pink himalayan salt you're good um i guess depends on how it's extracted Um,
1: if they're like you utilizing like TNT to blow up the Himalayan salt, I, you know, I guess you could get some of those particles in your salt,
0: (laughs) right? Right.
1: right, I guess, um, there are, there are more gentler ways of extracting the salt. Um, you can literally just uh, use more, more of like a machine turbine to just, you know, get, get the salt off the actual cave versus blowing it up. Um, so that's one potential benefit. But typically, if it's a beneath the surface salt and it's pink, it will have iodine in it.
0: Right, got you. So if it's not pink, let's say you just got sea salt, 100% sea salt. That's going to be minimized in iodine, I'm assuming.
1: Yeah, very, very low in iodine. Um, and depending on what part of the ocean you source the salt from, will determine if there's microplastics. Um, we'll, we'll also determine the trace minerals as well. So from the data that I've looked at, uh, oceanic salts from Hawaii tend to be very clean um, mm-hmm. because there's just not a lot of pollution. And then some salts will even source from about 2,000 feet. I think it's around 2,000 feet, maybe 200. There's a particular, if, the, if you source it below, um, there's a, there's cleaner areas in the ocean too where you can pull salts that are higher in trace minerals.
0: Mm. What about um, just the full spectrum uh, electrolytes? Would that cover your salt quota? Or uh, you? it's better off you focus on that separately? Yeah, good
1: question. So yeah, I mean, I think if, when you typically look at electrolyte supplements, they usually have, they focus on three things, sodium, potassium, and um, magnesium, right? Mm. They don't focus on iodine, which is a, is a huge mistake. They don't focus on copper and we lose a lot of copper in our sweat. They don't focus on chromium and you actually can triple your urinary loss of chromium when you exercise. So there's, the typical electrolyte supplements are also probably too low in sodium. Mm. Uh, So, I guess it depends on what, you're gonna, what your focus is, but for example, like if you want to exercise in the heat, particularly like if you want to cycle or do HIIT performance, um, you have to match your salt intake and fluid intake to boost your blood volume if you want to really see any type of dramatic benefit. And so most supplements may have 500 to 1,000 milligrams of sodium per dose. Um, but in order to boost your blood volume, well, let me just take a step back. So what, what ends up happening with exercise is you deplete your blood volume by about 10% because the blood flow goes to your muscles. So in the arteries, the blood volume actually goes down, even though you're in a closed system, right? The blood is flowing to working muscle. So the goal is to boost your blood volume prior to exercise. That way there's no drop. That way there's no to 10% drop. In order to do that, you have to boost your blood volume with a sodium concentration that matches your blood. So I, very few people really understand this. Um, and how you do that is a full teaspoon of salt, okay, in about 20 to 24 ounces of fluid. That'll match how salty your blood is. And then that needs to be consumed slowly over about an hour, So you slowly ingest this over an hour and you start about 90 minutes prior to exercise because it takes a while for that volume to distribute into Mm -hmm. your body. Now, you you hear the typical supplement might boost your exercise performance like by 50 seconds, right? Like beta alanine might give you an extra minute that you can work out. If you utilize this salt preloading, you can work out 21 minutes longer in the heat. There's not a supplement that even comes close to that. So it's really, you're just hacking your inner ocean in a way by Mm. drinking a salty fluid. And if you do it correctly, and the concentration I just described and the method, the slow, slow drinking of that, you can really improve your performance. And I mean, athletes, if they knew this, can you imagine how much better athletes would be like, you know, probably winning like Olympics or doing so much better in performance just a simple salt and water solution
0: it sounds like a really cheap solution to be honest and it's funny because there's so much supplements on the market that i think just sell a lot of bs false dreams in all fairness i remember when i first started buying supplements as a teen i used to buy a lot of whey protein Uh, In hope that I would look like the person who was holding the tub in the magazines, you know That placebo really did work, but I was like this this growth is pretty slow right now (laughs) I hear you Um, So you would mentioned that if you If you're lacking salt in your diet, then you can end up craving a lot for sugar true Could you elaborate a bit more on that please? So if, uh,
1: well, we have taste receptors for both salt and sugar, right? Mm -hmm. And since salt is an essential mineral, the, the human body, as well as animals, would have had to have some type of signal to tell them you are deficient on this mineral, right? And so what ends up happening is when you are deficient in salt, the way that your body tells you to seek out more of it is to activate the dopamine response system in your brain. So you become hypersensitive to the effects of anything that will stimulate dopamine in the brain. So clinical studies have shown this in animal studies. If you make an animal deficient in salt, they get a greater high from things like Adderall, um, cocaine, they become more addicted to it when they're salt deficient. So sugar hijacks that hypersensitized dopamine response when you are salt deficient. So it's almost like, how do animals know to go to a salt lick, right? It's that brain activation that tells them. And how do they know once they once they find the substance, how do they know to keep eating it? Activation of dopamine, because the dopamine response centers in the brain are activated when you're deficient in salt. So now things that are activating dopamine, like addictive drugs or sugar, when you're salt deficient, are, you're getting a greater response. They're more addictive when you're salt deficient. Does that, does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. But I'm like, I'm, I'm just trying to picture it in today's day and age. It's almost like, it's almost like, I don't know, like almost like a conspiracy.
1: It's, it's like, it's like, um, how people who are obese are overfed, but undernourished and they keep eating because they're lacking minerals and their yeah. body knows they're lacking minerals. Yeah. And they're like why am i constantly eating because you're eating all this food that is deficient in minerals and your body's trying to gain it right Mm, mm. so the same thing with salt the problem with low salt versions of foods which everyone thinks are healthier is your body has a set natural thermostat for how much salt it wants to eat so if you produce low salt pretzels the studies show you'll end up eating three times more of those pretzels to get the sodium that your body demands. Right. So okay. it's so it's kind of crazy. You don't ever want to mess with your biochemistry or your mineral intake because it'll hijack your brain. Wow,
0: I'm. Um, I'm. Um, this is this is incredible stuff. I'm still, I'm. I'm processing it. I'm just trying to think. Um, all right, so you need to make sure you have enough salt. Um, otherwise, you can end up. Yeah. overeating, overeating to, get, to get the salt that your body demands. But why would a person start craving sweet stuff when it's not salty? Did so the taste receptors
1: really? can sort of cross over sometimes. Right. Um, same thing with, uh, because it's not, it's not a perfect system. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people who think they're thirsty too, when they exercise, they actually are lacking salt. And oh. so it's really a salt thirst, not a water thirst. So a lot of people who run, Overconsume water, drop their sodium levels, and can cause some serious issues, right? Like low uh, sodium levels in the blood.
0: You know what's interesting? I think many, many years ago, the first time I used the sauna, I used to go in there with a with a bottle of water, and I used to drink it. And then there was a guy. I remember he was a he said he was a scientist. He said you should put some salt in your water um, because you'll lose a lot of salt. And I was under the belief that yeah, but I don't want too much salt in my body, you know? He was onto something, obviously. And he said, like, you know, your body will hold onto the water uh, better as well when you put salt in your water. And I was told this, like, years ago. I'm talking, it was about 25 years ago I was told this. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's come back full circle. I'm like, oh, wish I could find him now. Yeah. Sorry, man, I, I didn't believe you. <laughs> no, well, I mean, if you think about it, we're basically
1: like salt processing machines. So our kidneys are constantly filtering our blood, which is super salty. Uh, just to give you an example, the kidneys filter a full teaspoon of salt every five minutes. And you're told that a, a teaspoon of salt eating it is a lot. Yeah. But the kidneys filter that every five minutes. Oh uh, we, it filters over three pounds of salt every single day. So you're just think of, think of yourself as a walking salty ocean and you, right, honestly, and eating more salt is actually a relief on the kidneys because they have to reabsorb all of the salt that they filter. So your kidneys are reabsorbing over three pounds of salt every single day. So eating a teaspoon of salt is nothing. It does not stress the kidneys unless you have kidney issues. So it really comes down to are you a normal person that can handle salt or are you someone that's insulin resistant and the reason why you can't handle salt, why maybe your legs swell up, is because you have high insulin levels causing you to over-retain salt. And all you gotta do is drop the sugar, fix your insulin resistance, and you can process salt fine.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Keon Aminos. Amino acids are the catalyst for nearly every physiological function including protein synthesis. Unlike branched chain amino acids which only use three amino acids, kion aminos comprise of nine essential amino acids. A deficiency in one of them would have detrimental effects on muscle preservation. Kion aminos have bioavailability and are clean. They don't have any artificial additives or preservatives. If you're looking to preserve muscle whilst losing body fat, then these are incredible. Check getkeon.com forward slash Snipes Aminos. That website link again is getkeon.com forward slash Snipes Aminos. And use coupon code SNIPES20 and get 20% off at checkout. This podcast is brought to you by Clearlight Infrared Sauna. If you want the ultimate biohack, then this is it. Clearlight Infrared Sauna has state-of-the-art heating technology to produce optimal wavelengths of 360 degrees infrared heat. Traditional saunas raise the temperature from the air, but infrared saunas raise your temperature from the core. The result is deeper tissue penetration. This is the perfect way to remove toxins. It promotes healing, revitalization, penetrates fat cells, and stimulates metabolism. Clear Light Saunas is energy efficient, costing up to 45p per hour, virtually close to no EMF and low ELF technology. They also use eco certified wood, so no toxic fumes when heated you also get a lifetime warranty on a residential sauna if you'd like to learn more about clear light saunas or pick one up for yourself then just click the link in the show notes and check it out sort of simple yeah yeah what about um fertility, fertility and uh, sexual performance. Um, Where does salt play a role there? Yeah, so um,
1: salt is extremely important for fertility and farmers know this. They know that their animals that go on low salt diets tend to either not be fertile or they don't produce as much in their litters. Um, And their breast milk, uh, they don't produce as much breast milk either on low-salt diets. So every farmer knows that salt is so important for fertility, and we sort of forgot that in humans. Um, and the clinical studies have shown that erectile dysfunction um, is a side effect of low-salt diets. So is fatigue. So is a lack of energy, uh, pro- proven side effects of a low-salt diet. So maintaining adequate salt is very important for uh, good fertility.
0: Wow. How would a person balance the salt throughout the day? Like, what? Give me an example, maybe what you do to make sure, sure you have enough salt in, in, your, in your diet. Do
1: yeah, you drink I, it I, as
0: well or just food? Yeah, please I would, Yeah, sure. Um, so, basically, I, I like to
1: focus first on magnesium and potassium because if you are not consuming an adequate amount of those two minerals, then you ne- might not necessarily be able to handle salt very well. Because magnesium controls uh, something called the sodium-potassium pump, and if you lack in magnesium, that pump won't work well, and your cells will accumulate sodium and calcium, and you'll lose potassium. So you got to make sure potassium and magnesium are adequate before you just start, you know, eating more salt per se. Right. So typically, I try to eat or or get from the diet about 400 milligrams of magnesium and about three to four grams of potassium and then i'll try to ingest about four grams of sodium per day uh, as a baseline typically um i just salt to taste so if i'm eating meat i just salt the meat cook it salt to taste Um, same with vegetables i'll make sure to salt it with a you know himalayan pink salt or something um, to taste and Mm -hmm. it's always better to overdo it because your kidneys will just pee out what you don't need than not getting enough because you can't manufacture an essential mineral. So if you don't have enough, that's a big issue. If you get too much, your body is smart. It'll pee out what it doesn't need and it will reduce your cravings later on. So your body kind of maintains your salt intake for you. If I go in the sauna, I make sure to ingest usually about a half to a full teaspoon of salt um, Thirty minutes prior, uh,
0: mm. with about twenty ounces of fluid. Right, right. Um, does does your palate tell you when it's too much? It
1: is. Yeah, you'll yeah. notice it'll be way too salty. All of a sudden, things will start tasting too salty. Right. Where that doesn't happen with sugar, it's the opposite. With sugar, this white crystal, the more you ingest, the more you want. It doesn't have. It doesn't. The taste receptors don't flip for sugar whereas the, whereas they will with salt you get the aversion signal when you get too much salt doesn't happen with sugar
0: that's good to know
1: yeah
0: mm, mm. i definitely want to focus a bit more on that i mean i do take in fact i want to send you a link so that you can have a look and a little read up on the electrolytes which i have i, I salt my my food as normal um i never really thought about measuring it though you know I thought about measuring protein, possibly, but never salt. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, the the electrolytes, which I do have, they have uh, it, it, what is it, where do they source it from? the plankton bloom in the Atlantic um, mm-hmm. ocean area, and it's supposed to have around 78 different minerals in there, so I'm okay. assuming it's got the uh, magnesium, potassium and all the other bits and pieces in there as well. Yeah, um, I was going to lead to something now. But yeah, um, yeah, I've never really thought about how much salt I'm to have, but I'm definitely gonna look into that now. I wanted to also move on to longevity, because I know you've done a book on longevity. What's it called? The Longevity Solution, is that right? Yep, yep. And there's some really interesting stuff which you cover. And I haven't really been that far into it. But one interest which I do have is his longevity. I'm trying to live as long as possible. Um, I don't want any chronic disease before my time. In fact, I don't want that. I just want to die of old age, you know, like just run out of batteries. That's it. Ah, oh, he's dead. What would he die of? He, just old age. He was old, you know, that's yeah. it. I so... You that is it you know uh, I don't want any uh, complicated inflammations or anything like that so one of the things which I've noticed is there's certain areas around the world which is called the blue zones and people do tend to have a, a longer lifespan um, could you tell me a bit more about the blue zones what, what you understand of it sure so I think um, it's important to not
1: just to think about death you want to think about life too you want to live right looking like you do now good muscle tone right insulin sensitive you don't want chronic disease what's the point of living long if you are a frail right person that is sick so there's a there's a balance now the 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 blue zones like there's several um, okinawans are most people know about those longevity right there's icaria grease Um, Sardinia, which is in Italy, Um, there are some uh, sort of vegan, vegetarian, uh, California-type longevity populations. But I think for the majority of people, the the point that I try to take away from this is they exercise, right? They have good socialization, which we know, we understand the importance now of socialization now with COVID, right? We get that human beings are very social people. And when you have a sort of form of community that greatly reduces chronic stress, which is very important for health. So that's another part. Like most of these blue zones have a very strong social connection, sort of like, you know, make friends with neighbors in in a way is sort of how we hack that today. Um, And I can attest to that too, hanging out with my neighbors, socializing with them. I always feel great when I, when I hang out, like for the night, have maybe a drink or two, right? A little red wine or something. Um, Which is another uh, part of the quote unquote, a lot of blue zones will have a little bit of red wine with their meal. And I think pairing certain spices or plant foods with animal foods is so important. I think carnivore diets are great, but a lot of them forget that you really want to pair animal foods With some form of spice or vinegar or plant food, because when you over consume animal foods, you are ingesting oxidized cholesterol, Um, you are ingesting a lot more iron, which can oxidize uh, polyunsaturated fats and other things in the stomach. So the key is not to avoid red meat. Red meat is very nutritious. Um, It it gives you a lot of nutrients that you can't get from elsewhere, right? Like carnosine, carnitine, um, creatine. You get those from red meat. It's just how you source your red meat is important, Um, right? Grass-fed versus grain-fed. And we we can sort of get into ancestral intakes. Um, But I think what I typically like to do is right now I'm eating about 75% of my calories from animal foods and 25% from plant foods. Um, I think you you don't really want to go over 90% animal foods. Um, anything more than that. I, I don't know if there's enough plant foods to sort of counterbalance. And we, even, even if you look at the Inuit, like the most extreme animal based culture, they would harvest vegetables and berries and store them in seal fat for the winter. So they actually ate of vegetables and, and berries year round. In most cases, they would go out and actually in the dead of winter and harvest seaweed. Um, They would eat the, the contents of their, the animal stomachs to eat. They would eat the moss. They just somehow inherently knew that they should eat some plants for vitamin C and phytonutrients and things like that. So Mm. I think there's a balance um, I don't know if that makes sense or not,
0: yeah, yeah i mean so I'm just trying to to trying to learn the the direct um synchronizing or correlation between all the different zones is to what are the main similarities so um yeah, being close to people yeah <laughs> um and what um having exercise a, exercise yep. Um, having some a-
1: animal foods and some, some, plant, and some <clears throat> plant foods.
0: Um, mm-hmm. most of them were, uh,
1: by volume, primarily plant foods, but by caloric intake, um, it was, it wasn't as big of a difference as you would think. So most people kind of think of blue zones as this pure, um, plant based, right. Uh, cultures. Mm-hmm. um, they did eat a lot of plants, but they also did consume animal foods
0: as well. Mm, right. Okay. What's your views on. You mentioned something in a book about coffee and red wine. I can't remember what it was exactly. Yeah. Uh, is there something similar? I, I can't remember. What is it you mentioned about coffee and red wine? Um, so basically, with, with red meat, again, I don't think red meat is
1: bad at all. When you when you hang red meat, what ends up happening is the lack of blood flow causes the iron molecules to be released. And iron is the most reactive substance in the body. So as meat ages, um, you get more release of free iron ions and you start oxidizing the cholesterol, the proteins, and particularly the unsaturated fats. So arachidonic acid and linoleic acid, which is omega-6. Mm. So in... Ancestral times we would kill an animal. We would start eating the animal and maybe we would eat it for two to three weeks. Now, when you go to the supermarket, the meat has been hung for two to three weeks. So it's a little different. It's had more time to sit, oxidize, things like that. Then when you eat it and it hits the stomach acid, the iron starts catalyzing more oxidation products from the arachidonic acid, the linoleic acid, the proteins, the cholesterol. Red wine and coffee come in and inhibit that. So it's almost like evolution didn't care if we live long. All you had to do was live long enough to pass on your genes. So yeah, red meat is great and nutritious, but if you constantly over consume it without um, spices or plant foods, Grilling it constantly, right? At pound, eating pounds, pounds for decades. I don't think that's necessarily super healthy, but you can easily hack that by integrating things like coffee. Um, the compounds in coffee uh, help reduce that. In fact, The chlorogenic acid in coffee, your body will convert that to caffeic and then ferulic acid. And those two are some of those potent antioxidants. They actually upregulate your own antioxidant systems. So in the longevity solution, we sort of harp on this hormesis effect that plants really don't work through as antioxidants. They work very similarly, like exercise, sunshine, sauna, by inducing a little bit of stress
0: and making you more resilient. Mm-mm. so when you say a, a little bit of stress are you talking about like oct- oxalates and lectins at all or something completely different
1: yeah and and, and phytonutrients they actually phytonutrients. In, uh increase a little bit of reactive oxygen species and through that mechanism they upregulate through nrf2 your own antioxidant systems they, mm. they activate what's called the antioxidant response element so that'll boost glutathione which is your body's own natural antioxidant so we're starting to learn that antioxidants primarily work uh, via hormesis.
0: Right, right. Okay. So some people believe that uh, there's, a, there's a book called The Plant Paradox. I can't remember. Who wrote that? Doctor... Yeah, Gundry. Stephen Gundry. Yes, that's right. Um, and yeah, he talks about all these plant poisons and stuff like that. And, and some people, they are completely against plants because they feel as though it is just dangerous. They just say it's it's poison. And you do have carnivores as well. There's uh, Dr. Paul Saladino, I don't know if you know of his work. Yeah, yeah, um, I know Paul. Yeah? Yeah, he's a friend. Oh, okay, okay. And uh, wow, like, he's very scientific with his choice of choosing only meat. And Mm -hmm. um, I got his book, The Carnivore Code, and I was like, you know what? This is making me want to write off everything I know. So I can't listen to this anymore. This feels so contrary to everything I know. And he's so scientific with it. I, I just felt like I needed a breather. So what's what's your thoughts on people like that who believe real strongly in just like a, a one side of eating? Like either carnivore or vegan. you got these real you know, activists of these food types, like what's what's your views on that? I
1: think it's primarily coming from their own personal experience. So right. from what Paul told me, really most of his acne was induced by dairy and animal food. So it was mm-hmm. kind of like ironic that he sort of like primarily focuses on plants when a lot of his issues seem to be due to dairy. Um, but that being said, there are, I think there are some people who can't tolerate some plants or a lot of plants And if that's the case, you got to do what works for you, bottom line. But if you can tolerate plants, I tend to look at the clinical studies. So a lot of people fear oxalates, for example. But I posted on Instagram a clinical trial where they ingested 20 times a normal oxalate load. And as long as the calcium intake was fairly high, there was no increase in oxalate in the urine or no increase in oxalate kidney stone formation. So it's context because calcium will inhibit and bind to oxalates. And a lot of the foods that are high in oxalates are high in calcium. So when you start nitpicking lectin is bad or oxalates are bad, you got to look at the whole picture. Oxygen is bad by itself. Pure oxygen will kill you. But you need to breathe oxygen in order to live. So if you just start nitpicking single ingredients on plants, it's just like demonizing saturated fat or salt. It's not cool. You shouldn't do that. you got to look at the whole the whole complex of what you're eating, and then determine what happens from that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense, total sense. Um, I don't like this whole one-side thing. And I, I think I had someone ask me a question of like, uh, have you tried a, a vegan diet or a plant-based diet? And I did do it for a little bit, but as I started to look a bit more in like the, the just the full spectrum of food, I was like, why would I decide t- to do that? These other right. choices of food are here. and like minimizing my my intake for the purpose of what? Just I don't know humane reasons. <laughs> I don't know. Like <laughs> right. um so you just touched on saturated and unsaturated fat. Some people are uh extremely scared about saturated fat. Could you give me a bit of insight on what your thoughts are on it in yeah, comparison I mean, to
1: right. So I mean, most people don't even realize there's different types of saturated fats. So what most people fear are what are called the long-chain saturated fats, in um, things like heavy cream and butter. And we don't need to fear them. Uh, I would say I, I consider those okay fats. Um, but I do consider it, so basically I go over this in Superfuel. Um, but like, what are the healthy fats is primarily what that book is about. And there are different oxidation rates for fats. So some fats get, have a high oxidation rate and are burned very easily, like medium-chain triglycerides, omega-3s, and omega-6s from whole foods. And then there are long-chain saturated fats that have a low oxidation rate, meaning they don't get burned very well and they get stored more. But that's really only a problem if you're eating a good amount of refined carbs. If you're on a low-carb diet, um, you are a better fat burner so it's context dependent if you eat a muffin with a lot of butter that is wildly different than <laughs> right eating like a piece of salmon or i don't know some type of vegetable with a little bit of butter right yeah so we sort of get lost and we forget about the nuances of all this but there are differences like it, like for example the primary fat in olive oil which is oleic acid has twice the thermic effect as long chain saturated fats and thermic effect is how many calories you burn just to digest that fat so it takes you twice the amount of calories to burn olive oil as it does let's say the long chain saturated fats and butter and cream so if you're someone who eats a fair amount of carbs and you swap out a tablespoon of butter and you start eating a tablespoon of olive oil The clinical studies have shown that you can lose six pounds of fat in just eight weeks, but that's if you're eating a fairly high carb diet. So the fats that you choose do matter a lot, but it also matters on your background intake of carbohydrates.
0: Mm. Right. That's really, really interesting. What about trans fats? What's your thoughts on that?
1: So what's scary about trans fats and these are primarily formed when you um like take omega-6 seed oils and you try to basically stabilize them you create trans fats the trans fat is from an unsaturated fat you can't make a trans saturated fat but you can make a trans oleic acid or trans linoleic acid which is you know basically unsaturated fats Hmm. and they can actually integrate into your cell membranes and prevent the cell membranes from functioning and the cell membrane is how we move amino acids in and out, how we move sodium, glucose. If you start messing up your cell membranes, you can really mess up your body. And the problem too, with um, oxidized seed oils and trans fats is particularly with linoleic acid, it has a half-life of 680 days. So if you start storing that fat, it can stay with you for over a year, potentially.
0: Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. It, it just surprises me. Like the way how I remember when uh, margarine was a big thing back in the day, isn't it? And, yeah. um, it was, it was, uh, I don't know. It was, it was, it was told that this is much healthier than butter. And then people started shifting over to that, yeah, you know, all, all based on LDL levels,
1: B- basically, um, polyunsaturated fats, lower LDL, And long chain saturated fats, like in animal foods, can raise LDL. The problem is, is that the animal foods that slightly raise LDL make it more stable, less likely to oxidize. Whereas the vegetable oils that lower your LDL level make it more um, susceptible to oxidation. So if you take it a step further, um, you start realizing it's having worse effects on your LDL health per se.
0: Mm, Hmm. Yeah. What's, what about fasting? What's your thoughts on fasting? Um, would you say it's beneficial, not so beneficial? I mean, I do a bit of fasting myself, but I always question, I, what's the sweet spot with fasting? Um, is there too much, not enough?
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, just like with anything, there's, there's always going to be an optimal level, not enough, too much. I almost look at a good workout as like a mini fast. So if you like lift a lot of weights, why would you then want to fast, right? You've just kind of induced um, muscle protein breakdown. Why would you want to further do that? So you've got to be careful fasting more than one day a week because you can start losing muscle. Um, basically, what, here, here's what happens with fasting. By day two, you're slightly, you go into a slight metabolic acidosis. It's not necessarily super harmful, um, but you do start breaking down protein and you do start losing magnesium, and you are slightly acidic. So in a fast, if I was doing a fast longer than two days, I would be drinking bicarbonate water to prevent the metabolic acidosis, because that will start stripping minerals from your bone. And then you have to regain that. And if you do it too frequently, you're starting to lose protein and lose minerals if you don't regain it. So, So fasting is like, Maybe a five-day fast once every six months, maybe a one-day fast every two weeks. Um, But again, if you're working out and lifting, intermittent fasting is probably fine, right? Skip breakfast, eat Mm -hmm. just two times a day. But if you're lifting weights, I don't really see the need to do 24-hour or longer Mm fasts, in in my opinion, except on the the rare occasion, two to three times a year maybe.
0: Mm, mm. Okay. I that's think
1: I that's just my opinion. And No no one has the right answer on this right now. <laughs> you really, really don't have the studies and you probably never will.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I I do tend to do like one water fast a month. So 124 hour water fast. Yeah. Um that's probably
1: gonna... that's probably perfect especially for someone who lift, lifts weights like you do. Mm.
0: mm. There's so many different types of fasts, isn't there? Like, I've always tried to figure out, yeah, what, what, is, what is the best thing for like hormonal purposes and, you know, for, for cellular health, you know, with the autophagy. Um, yeah, just trying to figure it out. What's your thoughts on with uh, women fasting? Yeah, I think women seem to be
1: more susceptible to low carb diets and fasting than men. Um, from a hormonal perspective, they don't seem to tolerate it as well. They start getting hair loss. Some, uh, some of their hormones can be more affected by that. Um, I think it has to do with more of a biological, um, you know, the men would more so fast and go out and hunt and the women would generally stay back and and not, not be as active. And they might not be as adapted to stresses or, um, like fasting, like, like men would have, uh possibly been during evolutionary time. So I think that's probably why we see a lot more women not do as well, not to mention that they go, you know, they go through menses for a long period of time and you lose a lot of iron and salt through blood and through menses. And so women sort of have this system in place where they flush their body out of salt and iron and other minerals that men don't. So we are different in that aspect. So you gotta be a little bit more careful if you're a woman.
0: Okay, that is that is really interesting because there are some women who might do it. And, you know, if I'm going to speak to a client who wants to do it, I want to be able to give the best advice. But if I don't know enough about it, <laughs> then I can't really, you know? Um, you know, I've heard that women who do like a, a 12-12, um, it's it's good. Um, as for the science behind it, I don't know. Um, it's supposed to be, you know, like... It, if they do extend it for a bit longer then yeah maybe maybe those things do
1: uh, people get crazy with these fasts you know like it's more of like a like a challenge they almost view it as like a cold plunge challenge or like did you do i did five days did you do six days and it's Ah. like listen the more important thing is instead of eating four times a day just eat twice a day that's like that is way better advice than Yo, man! I did a full week fast, and I do that every month. Like, it's just there's real no science behind it, right? You
0: know, know, there's there's so many different views on it, but that's interesting. If you say there's no science behind it, and you're a doctor, then that's cool to hear. (laughs) Yeah, doing a full week fast every month
1: is, in my opinion, no science behind it. Doing intermittent fasting yes and again the reason is is because if you fast more than a day a week you will start losing lean mass Mm -hmm. um so again if you're doing if you're fasting a full week every month you can you can start losing lean mass you are stripping your bones of minerals once you're at day two because you undergo metabolic acidosis so most people talk about fasting but many of them have never actually looked at the fasting studies. Like I have the figures in my head of like, like when the pH levels start to drop in the body, right? When you become more acidic, what actually happens? I've looked at a lot of fasting studies and you got to be careful doing fast, uh, prolonged fasts beyond two days. If you don't have a long enough gap to recover what you've lost. Mm -hmm. And I think the sweet point, is probably, if you're gonna do a long fast, like let's say a five-day fast, right? Probably not more than every three months. Um, and if you're gonna do a full 24-hour fast, you don't wanna do that more frequently than every
0: week. Mm. All right, I'll note that down. Yeah, that's that's interesting, that's interesting. I probably wouldn't wanna do more than 24 hours though. But it's cool to know if I decide to stretch it because I know a few people who's done like five day fasts and I'm like, Pfft. I don't know if I'm willing to do that <laughs> unless it was for charity or something like that. I
1: don't well, know. I mean, fasting benefits um, overweight people much better than like for you to fast. There's very little reason for you to fast. You don't have a lot of fat stores to start eating up in the first place. You're going to start breaking down more lean tissue. Hmm. So I guess it depends, too, on the population that's fasting.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's no
1: need for lean healthy muscular people to do prolonged fast on a frequent basis It's actually Mm. pretty stupid and you can actually get yourself in a serious trouble if you do that
0: (laughs) (laughs) What other um, Longevity things would you suggest would uh, help people to I don't know live a, a sustained healthy life? What what kind of methods would help to promote healthy aging in individuals, would you say?
1: Uh, I would say sunlight exposure, like healthy sunlight exposure, is probably one of the most important things. And that will help automatically with sleep, right? So, morning sunlight exposure is important. You get the infrared that prepares you for the UV later in the day, it mm. sets your circadian rhythms, helps you sleep better. So, sunlight, sleep, uh, lifting weights three times a week. Um, because you start uh, losing the ability to use your own minerals when you start losing muscle mass. So your muscle needs to be sensitive in order to get magnesium and potassium into the cell. A lot of people, we lose a lot of muscle as we age and become sarcopenic. So lifting weights is very important. A little bit of cardio, but not too much. Again, uh, some animal foods and some plant foods I think are beneficial. Um, depending on the person, uh, you know, the range will vary, but most people want to consume, in my opinion, at least 10% of their calories from animal foods at the bare minimum right. and at the bare minimum. Um, and then, but, I, but I think more of an optimal is probably 50 to 75% of your calories from animal foods and 50 to 25% from plant foods. I, mm. I try, I look at plant foods as, Getting the minerals that tend to be low in animal foods like manganese, calcium, magnesium, copper, um, and then almost like a way to prevent some of the oxidative stress that you get through eating animal foods. Mm. Besides that, right? So we covered sleep, sunlight, um, fresh air, uh, right? Getting fresh air, getting outside, getting in nature um, is very important. Like, I'll, I'll, I open the windows a lot more than I used to just because breathing fresh air has more ozone, more antiviral activity because of the additional ozone. Um, and we never, you know, through evolutionary times, we would be outside a lot more breathing real fresh air. So just opening your windows up and getting a cross breeze, in my opinion, is important. Um, I don't know. Intermittent fasting is important too. Not consuming so frequently, like trying to keep it to two meals a day. I think Close to important. each other? Yeah. Uh, close to each other? Doesn't necessarily have to be. Uh, okay. What I do is typ- typically I'll eat like at 11 and then maybe like four o'clock. Okay. So it doesn't,
0: okay. Right, right. Yeah. Because uh, just quickly, because um, you know, some people have a, a belief that the moment your 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 gastric juices start to flow, that's it. You know your fast is then broken, and that whole autophagy is you know stopped from that moment.
1: People uh, freak uh, out about did I break my fast?
0: Yeah, I'm 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 sort of in that category. Like I'm I'm trying yeah. to you know trying to work it out here.
1: <laughs> I get it. I, I'm I'm like telling people all the time that like I just had one gram of stevia. Did I break my fast? I'm like are you kidding me? Like you just, you walking from your house to my house will burn that one gram of stevia. You know, like I think people tend to be a little too black and white about it. And there's, Mm. there's usually a gray area. Um, as long as you're not super elevating insulin or affecting your hormones, um, I don't really consider it a broken fast.
0: Mm, mm. And, um, your thoughts on, um, grounding.
1: I love it. I love, I love grounding. Um, there are review papers um, showing some preliminary science of it. Um, I think, it, I mean, I, I feel different when I'm like, I make sure to ground, like I, it drives my wife crazy. Cause like my feet are always dirty, <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> I always make sure to walk on my lawn, like barefoot, like throughout the day. Um, I just feel better. I mean, that's how we evolved, right? Like we didn't Mm -hmm. put on sneakers and go run on concrete, right? We were like barefoot, like in grass, in vegetation. And you can really feel the difference mentally, um, by walking grounded. I don't know if you walk, if you make, you know, feel the difference or not, but I, I do.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I, yeah, I always ground. I just wanted to get your opinion on it. I've even got like a pair of uh, Earth Runners. I don't know if you know Earth Runners. I've heard of them. Um, they're, they're, they look like sandals. They, and they, it's got like a kind of, a, is it like a, a copper connective thing that touches the, which is at the bottom of the sole that touches the ground when you're walking. So, you know, the whole shoe becomes grounded. like you become grounded when you wear it and it also yeah. allows your toes to spread out you know um so i wear that all the time all the time i've got so many pairs of trainers but the moment i discovered those a uh, a friend of mine uh, ryan carter he he i just saw him wearing them i was like what are those man those look great he told He's me the name yeah
1: right yeah
0: Went to the website and I was like, that's it, I'm getting it. And that's all I wear. I've even got Vivo Barefoot. You know Vivo Barefoot? Nope. It's, it's, um, it, it's, it's a closed shoe, but the, the, wide, the, the front of the shoe is wider for, for more space for your toes. Okay. Um, but I just prefer the Earth Runners because all oh, the breeze can get between my toes as well. Nice. Um, and the, the sole is like extremely thin and mm-hmm. you you're being grounded uh so yeah uh, i've got like a, a grounding mat when i'm using my laptop and a grounding sheet on my bed i've got this p e m f not quite the same as grounding, but yeah there you go, yeah, using nice. that all the time um but i was i was just wondering it's it's i think it's mentioned that different parts of the world might uh I don't know, uh, emit different amounts of, let's say, EMF from the ground. Hmm. Depending, yeah, so, because it's, it's, it's the actual lightning which charges the planet, isn't it?
1: I don't know, I haven't read too much about uh, lightning, but oh, okay. I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, lightning creates more ozone and um, there's obviously a charge through it, so it would make sense that it would, you know, have some type of effect on emf
0: yeah so so my my my. i guess my thought process is would it be better to ground in a particular area than let's say my garden (laughs) you know like
1: yeah i mean dr mercola he talks a lot about like grounding um on the beach and in the ocean right i don't know exactly necessarily why but i mean i always feel better when i when i ground on the ocean or in the beach or like on sand you can that's like an intense way almost of grounding uh, even Mm. more so than grass i don't know what i don't know why or the science behind it but could it could be the connection to the ocean who knows
0: Mm. would getting in the ocean kind of submerge you with that sort of grounding energy Um, it might, right? Because water is
1: an, am- is an amazing conductor um, mm. of, of a lot of things. So it's, po- it's possible. It would, it would make sense. Yeah. Mm.
0: Cool. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's it, really. I think um, unless there's anything else that you'd like to cover. I think we did. I think we covered a lot. Yeah, we did. I think so. I think that was amazing. I was going to ask you about tea, but then I just thought you know, I think we've done good. Um, cause you did mention something about tea. Yeah. Great. I mean, yeah. Green,
1: green tea, green tea. Yeah. The, EG, the EGCG and the, um, the polyphenols in, in green tea, um, seem to be what are called called senolytics. So there, there's two compounds that are, that I know of that are senolytics, which will break down senescent cells. So these are quote unquote for, um, the layperson zombie cells, but basically, when cells get damaged, they can turn into senescent cells, and they they can release inflammatory cytokines. And right. the problem is, is we have our bodies have a difficult time removing them. EGCG and physetin, which is in strawberries, are the only two senolytic compounds that I know of, so they can actually kind of break down senescent cells. So that that was just a quick little tidbit
0: on green tea. Okay, from green tea trying to remember what you just said there, that sound pretty, pretty intense. <laughs> Basically, if you, if you want to, um, help
1: remove senescent cells from the body, which is what we accumulate as we age, mm-hmm. um, the compounds in green tea or strawberries seem to have those type of
0: effects. Cool. All right, I'll, drink a bit more green tea so yeah maybe (laughs) squeeze a strawberry in your green tea yeah i had a strawberry earlier so yeah strawberry
1: and green tea i'll do that to put it in context though you got to eat about 14 ounces of
0: strawberries to get an effective dose (laughs) (laughs) so i don't know oh man maybe there's a, a concentrated powdered version i'm sure they're working on it yeah yeah so thank you so much, James. I truly appreciate your time today. Um, yeah, thanks for and, having me on. Hey, no worries at all. As I said, like, I love your social media, man. You give so much insightful stuff. Thanks. And um, where, where could people find you? What is your Instagram handle? I'll put that in the it's show notes. Uh, at Dr. James Deneck.
1: Um, yeah. Or they can go to uh, my website, which is drjamesdenick.com.
0: Deneck? Yeah, D-I-N-I-C. Oh, okay. Yeah, That's Dine. a bit of a shorter version to your actual name, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and you're also on Twitter, aren't you? Yep. Yep. Same mm-hmm. handle, at Dr. James Splendid. Oh, James, thank you very much, sir. I really appreciate it. Um, your books, you have three books. Where can they uh, be found? Is it on Amazon? Yep. Amazon
1: um, um, or my website, drjamesdeneck.com.
0: Yeah. So guys, if you want to know a bit more about the salt fix, the the salt diet, all the information which we spoke about, this can be found on his book, The Salt Fix. Absolutely incredible, um, groundbreaking stuff. There's one which I haven't (laughs) read just yet, but that will be on my way. I'll be giving some insightful stuff on my social media. I'll be talking about that very soon. So again, thank you for your time. And uh, yeah, have a blessed day. Thank you for tuning in today's episode. Any guests which I have on the show really provide some golden nuggets and useful life-changing tips. So always feel free to check out their social media platforms or website links, which will be written in the show notes. These shows are financed by my sponsors, so your contributions are always greatly appreciated. Any clickable links with discount codes,